This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. It's been a little while since I was here. It's good to be back home. Hallelujah. Uh, I'm just uh, excited about, I think, where the Lord has us in this season. I felt like the Lord said something to me. I'm usually not a theme preacher when it comes to what, you know, a, a year changes or whatever. And uh, matter of fact, I get a lot of calls actually uh, about New Year's Eve or a couple of days before New Year's Eve from pastors. And they're asking me, what do you think the Lord is saying? And what they're doing is they're looking for a sermon. <laughs> and that's good. But uh, I, I, it, this particular season, I felt like the Lord did say something that maybe sound very cliche to you. But I think we're in a season where God wants to give us 2020 vision. Can you say amen to that? And I believe there's clarity that's coming to the body of Christ. And I believe there is, you know, 20 is also the number of redemption. And I think that there's some clarity coming on an understanding of redemption. I'm going to jump right in the word this morning because this first service is more limited in time. But if uh, you have your Bible with you or your device, whatever the case may be, I think they will put it up on the screen. But my first scripture this morning will be from Deuteronomy, the 11th chapter. And I want to read from the message version of the Bible. Uh, is that, is that uh, let's see, it's not quite, uh, uh, you need to go up just a little bit higher. That's not, it, you got one line missing off of the screen. It starts out like this, I've got it in mind. It says, the land you are entering to take up ownership isn't like Egypt, the land you left where you had to plant your own seed and water it yourself as in a vegetable garden. But the land you're about to cross, the river, and take for your own is a land of mountains and valleys. It drinks the water that rains from the sky. It's a land that God, your God, personally tends. He's the gardener. He alone keeps his eye on it all year long. I felt like the Lord dropped this scripture in my heart and uh, had felt like this was really a word for right, right now in this season. But uh, I would call this this morning, where you're headed doesn't look like where you came from. Why don't you touch your neighbor and tell him that? Where you're headed doesn't look like where you came from. Now, let me just develop that a little bit because that really resonated with my spirit because, you know, I've been in ministry. I was telling Gavin this morning, this will be my 41st year of ministry. Last April, we celebrated, we celebrated 40 years of full-time traveling ministry without scandal. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. I, I thought maybe you'd clap about that, but... <laughs> Now, that's by the grace of God. Hallelujah. But, I, you know, as, as I've seen the changes take place over the years that I've traveled, I, I was just sharing, I'm just going to open my heart a little bit this morning. I shared with Gavin last time we had lunch that, you know, probably the last, the last time I was in pretty good shape mentally in the sense I wasn't crazy or anything. But I was discouraged. The first time we had lunch, I had been a little bit discouraged. A lot of things were going on. And you know, uh, I, uh, this last October, October that just passed, I turned 62. I know that's not very old, but it didn't take me long to get here either. <laughs> My concept of old has drastically changed. My mother said to me one time, she said, have you noticed there's not very many old people around anymore? I said, Mom, when there's nobody above you, 
you are the old people. But it's amazing how your concept of old changes. I have a friend in, in, in actually just south of Pittsburgh who still pastors, who turned 103 in October and still wears high heels and makeup and looks good. She went to South Africa just a few years ago. So how many of we can live long and prosper? Hallelujah. But, you know, I felt like in the moments where I was being, you know, I was a little bit discouraged. I thought, well, you know, things are changing so much. Because where we're headed don't look like where we came from. That I thought, well, maybe I'm a, I'm, maybe I'm a dinosaur and it's time to just retire. And uh, maybe just think about retirement. And uh, the Holy Spirit said to me, this is your 40th year of ministry. And I'm going to use you to bring a generation into the fullness of what it means to live in the promised land. Now, I'm not sure I know what all that means just yet, but I can tell you this one, this scripture really resonated with me because he said where you're headed doesn't look like where you came from. And that's really our struggle, and especially for people who are my age group and up, is that when change comes, we don't sometimes know how to navigate the waters of change. Well, I want, let me just say this to help develop a few things. Where he was talking about, he said where you are headed does not look like the land of Egypt from whence you came out of, where you had to till the ground, the King James Bible said, with your foot, and you had to carry water from the Nile River. Now, let me just develop this thought a little bit for you. The promised land is not going to heaven. Let me say that first of all. Now, I do believe in heaven. I'm not taking anything from that by any stretch of the imagination. But Hebrews, the fourth chapter, kind of describes for us a little bit more what the promised land is in the new covenant. How many know... If you read Hebrews 4, the promised land is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so he talks about that they did not enter in to that promised land because they didn't mix the word with faith. How many know there is an objective and subjective side to the gospel? I mean, it is both the way of grace and the walk of faith. If you don't believe what God said and appropriate and apply it, how I many know you could talk about what God's done to the cows come home, but until you, until you believe it and act on it, and faith is not just, uh, you know, some kind of a magic mind manipulation. It is when you really believe what you believe, you really act on. Come on with me a little bit this morning. And, you know, as I begin to see that, you know, in Christ, I mean, in Christ, all of God's promises are yes and amen. So in, in my, my view, what I want to share at least this morning is the promised land is not just a piece of real estate. It's what it means to live in Christ, who are in Christ, all of God's promises are yes. And somebody say Amen. You know, I, I, I preached a message back some time ago out of Deuteronomy where uh, they stood on one mountain and read the curses of the law. They stood on another mountain and read the blessings of the law. But as you read, I believe it is toward the latter part of Deuteronomy, they would read these curses, Pastor uh, Gavin, and they would say things like, you're cursed if you do this. And the people would say, Amen. And then he would say, you are cursed if you move another man's border. And the people would say, amen. And they would say, you're cursed if you do this. And he went down through this whole list of curses. And after every single one of those curses, the people said, amen. But the next chapter, he opens up and he starts talking about the blessing. And he starts saying to them, you are, you'll be blessed in the city. You'll be blessed in the field. You'll be blessed coming in. 
You'll be blessed going out. And if you read that whole chapter, not one time in that chapter, do the people ever say amen to the blessing. I mean, sometimes people are more willing to believe bad news than they are the good news. But in Christ, all of God's promises are yes. There, I got a few mild amens. Jesus says this in Revelation, I am the amen, the faithful and the true witness. I'm the beginning of the creation of God. In other words, he was saying to them, I'm the final amen to all the curses. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. But I'm also the beginning of the creation of God where the blessing of God can flow to you because of what I've done for you and as you. Come on, help me just a little bit this morning. And and that puts us in a position that if you are in Christ, come on, you're already where a lot of folks are dying to be. And it is out of being in Christ that there's an outflow of milk and honey. And as I begin to think about a lot of deep, profound things that you could say about milk and honey, but uh, suffice to say, if I just say to you, I'm going to bring you into a land that flows with milk and honey, that would sound to me like the good life on every level. That would sound to me like, you know, God wants to give you the best life on the planet. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy, uh, the latter part of 11, he says, I want to give you the days of heaven on earth. Jesus comes on the scene and he said, I came that you might have life, not just a ticket to heaven. That's included in the package. Don't misunderstand me this morning. But there's a whole lot of stuff people are missing between here and heaven. And they're living way below what I believe is ours that we could have. In the reality that we need to understand that he didn't just come to give us a ticket to heaven. He came to give us life and that more abundantly. And so as I begin to think about this, and if you bring me up by the next scripture, I think I had Revelation, the 11th chapter. This this scripture, just I, I, I do a lot of teaching stuff on Revelation, but I've read over this many times so quickly that it just didn't settle into what it was really saying here. But this is just one verse, but it's so powerful to me. It says, and their dead bodies, she talked about the two witnesses, shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. Look at these words. Where also our Lord was crucified. Now, I've read that so many times and read over so quickly that I didn't think about what I was reading. Because it said our Lord was crucified in the city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. But how many of you know this morning that our Lord was not crucified in Sodom or Egypt? Well, I got one. Yeah. Hallelujah. Touch your neighbor. Say, are you awake yet? (laughs) But the Holy Spirit says the city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. And for the first time, I began to realize that Jesus was crucified. In Jerusalem, outside the city of Jerusalem. How many of you know that this morning? The Holy Spirit takes his finger and points at the centerpiece of Judaism, old covenant animal sacrifice that was about to fade off of the scene. And he says, that's Egypt. Now that to me is a paradigm shifter for me. Because I always thought about Egypt as being whatever we called the world. And in my Pentecostal holiness tradition, the world was always movies or dress or how you looked. And, you know, we thought holy was if if women didn't wear makeup and men wore long sleeves and you, you know, had to look like granny from the Beverly Hillbillies in order to be holy. 
And we thought that necessarily meant, you know, maybe just behavior. But the reality of it is, how many of the angels of God are not standing before the throne of God crying, He behaves. (laughs) He's got on the right outfit. Look at his robe. They're saying he's holy. Now, holy does not necessarily mean you glow in the dark. It means you're other than or that you're consecrated and uniquely other than. In other words, there's nothing like you. Do you know there were snuff dishes and pans and tongs in the tabernacle of Moses that were set aside and consecrated for service and they were holy? Now, how many know that you have been set aside and consecrated for service and for the indwelling God? How many know they had an old flapping tent that was their tabernacle that they called holy? But how many know God moved out of the tent and moved into you? Come on, somebody. And that's what makes you holy is the fact that you, come on, that the God who created the universe lives inside of you. Hallelujah. That's powerful to me. I can remember my mother would say things about, you know, uh, I, you know uh, my mother, would, I can remember testimonies she would give at times when we were in the holiness tradition. And she would, she would see somebody at the grocery store. And she would say, uh, she'd testify in service that night. She'd say, I, I, I saw a saint of God today. And then she'd get that little jerk on her, you know, that little pin. She'd get that little bobby pins be flying everywhere, you know. And she said, I knew, I could see, hear, still hear that Pentecostal draw in her. And, and she said, I knew she was a saint of God because of the glow on her face. And I'm just a young kid at the time, and I'm thinking, Mom, that's not a glow. That's a shine from no makeup. <laughs> and I'm thinking, Mom, you, you didn't know her because she had a glow. You knew her because she had... A top knot, a beehive, no makeup, a dress to her ankles, pantyhose on top of legs that, that weren't shaved with black hair hanging. That, that's too much information right there. Hallelujah. But, and I'm not trying to put these. Listen, when we were in that, we did the best we could with what we knew. In other words, we thought that was what. And my mother said, what a testimony that this woman was to the things of God. And we're thinking, she, you know, what a light she was to the world. But the world is standing there going, you mean your God makes you look like that? <laughs> See, the life is the, the light. I said the life is the light. In him was life and the life was the light. In other words, the quality of life that God wants to give to us as image bearers in the earth is what he has in mind for us. Come on, somebody. So that when people see us, they don't say, you mean your God makes you do that? They want to see somebody that says, you know what? I want a life just like that. Hallelujah. I want a life. Hallelujah. And you know, I love the fact that the first song you sang, and I need to press on here a little bit, but the song you first sang, In My Father's House, there are are, are, are many rooms. And and the song that you sing, because we, we don't understand the power and impact of this new covenant was that Jesus came to reveal something to us other than this God who was an austere old man on a Victorian chair with a club in his hand ready to slap you upside your head. He was more than just God. He was Abba. He is Father. And when he started to introduce that to us, he starts showing us the aspect of God. Come on, who, who, who if we can relate to him like this, 
He is our Father, and He, you know, we, we, that's, that's a common basic concept for us. But it was so revolutionary in the first century that when people saw Jesus say, I and my Father are one, they picked up stones to stone Him because He being a man had made Himself God, and He was simply identifying with God as being Abba, His Father. But how many know in the New Covenant, we are learning how to live our lives in the context of sonship because under the Old Covenant, we were slaves and servants when we were in Egypt. So if he's going to deliver us from Egypt, he's going to deliver us from the bondage of a system that made slaves out of us and bring us into a relationship where he makes sons out of us. Under the old covenant, it was about a a law you had to keep. And in the new covenant, it is about receiving a life that will keep you. In the old covenant, we lived out of rules. In the new covenant, we live out of a relationship. In the old covenant, we were motivated by fear. In the new covenant, we live by faith. Somebody help me preach a little bit here this morning. Everything about this covenant, Hebrews, uh, uh, matter of fact, we have a series back there in, in, in the product room on the book, the whole entire book of Hebrews. And everything about the book of Hebrews is Paul writing. I think it's Paul writing to Hebrews. And he's telling them everything about this new covenant is better than the old covenant. It's got better blood. It's got better promises. It's got better faith. It's got better sacrifices. It's got a better priesthood. It's got a better tabernacle. It's got a better city. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. It's got everything about it is better. And why would you want to not move forward to what's better? Because where you're headed doesn't look like where you came from. Now imagine if you lived in the first century and somebody came on the scene. I think it's, there's so much rolling in my spirit here this morning. Let's let's, let's take the night before his decease. Jesus meets with 12 disciples. And he said, with great desire have I desired to eat this Passover. And so they are doing what has been a ritual for almost 1,500 years, looking for Messiah to come. And Jesus said, with great desire have I desired to eat this Passover. And when he takes that cup that night, he said, let me tell you something. This cup is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you. And he takes the bread and he blesses it and he breaks it. He said, this is my body that was broken for you. I don't know if we really realize the impact of what's happening here, but what he's saying to them is this is the last time you will ever have to kill a woolly lamb and sacrifice for sin because my body is going to be broken for you and I'm going to inaugurate a new covenant and you're not going to have to go through these rituals one more time. You won't have to bring one more woolly lamb because I'm the ultimate Passover that's now on the scene. Now, you and I are real happy about that right now. Can you say amen? I know at least Gavin and I are glad that we don't have to kill about a bunch of lambs this morning. Now, we might be all right eating a, a leg of lamb or something after a while, but, we, but what I'm saying is this. Now, but think about this for a moment. What if you were in the first century and Grandma had done it this way and Papa had done it that way and this is how we did church. This is how it's been for 1,500 years. And all of a sudden, everything is about to shift. And the guys who are going to preach the gospel 
and the finished work of Jesus Christ are going to look like they're guys who are diametrically opposed to their system of religion there because where they were headed didn't look like where they came from. I wish I could get some help in here this morning. Hallelujah. In other words, the bondage they'd been under was not going to be the same kind of taskmaster and slave system. Now, we've come a long way in the American church, and, and there's so much that I feel like I need to say that I'm leaving out. But the reality of it is, is when I wrote the book that's back there called Unforced Rhythms of Grace, it comes from Matthew 11 where he said, Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burned out on religion? Now, I can tell you this. I have thrilled a many a crowd by preaching, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burned out on religion? And people will shout you down. Because Jesus was saying that actually to a first century bunch of people. He's saying to them, here, here it is in King James. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. He's not talking to drug dealers and prostitutes on the street. He's talking to people in the church their whole life. Under the tyranny and the weight of a performance-based religious system that was full of demand but had absolutely no supply. But what he's about to introduce is a covenant that's full of supply that has very little demand. And But when I have thrilled many crowds by preaching, are you tired, are you weary, are you burned out on religion? Here's the next part that we, we seem to brush over and miss. He said, are you tired, are you weary, are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Walk with me, work with me, and see how I do it. I will teach you the unforced rhythm of grace. The verse above this says this is a unique father-son relationship. But I'm not going to keep it to myself. I'm going to go over it line by line with anybody willing to listen to me. Can I tell you what the gospel is about? Is about coming into a relationship in a father-son relationship where we see we can get free from religion and all we do is trade one set of bondage for another set. In other words, we swing from the bondage of religion to the bondage of something in the world. Come on, somebody. Or we swing from the bondage of substance abuse or something like that in the world to the bondage of religion. I'm not talking about swinging back and forth like a bunch of monkeys in a tree. I'm talking about finding a relationship with Father or in the new covenant, they that are led by the Spirit are sons of God. I'm talking about living life in the context of sonship where you really develop an absolute encounter with this real living God who wants to be more close to you than you think he does hallelujah he wants listen we sing songs like i'm desperate for you but the truth of it is he's desperate for you he wants relationship with you he wants to influence you because here's the thing romans 8 says to they that are led by the spirit they're sons of god that's one of the earmarks of sonship is you learn how to be led and governed by the spirit of the living god so it's not casting off any kind of restraint what i'm talking about where we're headed don't look like where we came from yes we are getting free from the bondage of of of, of religious trappings and a lot of stuff that really wasn't even biblical and there's a lot of massive changes going on in the body of christ like i've never seen before and like i said and when i last year i was thinking well maybe it's time for me to retire 
power, I might be a dinosaur. But the truth of it is, is I believe we're in one of the most incredible shifts and changes and refocusing of our vision than we've ever seen and even our methods of how we do things. And here's what I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying. He's saying to me, tell the church where you're headed don't look like where you came from. I appreciate the fathers of the gospel that were impacted me. Even in my Pentecostal days, I was sitting in the office talking. Let me calm down. I sat in the office talking to Gavin, and I said, you know, growing up in that Pentecostal holiness tradition, there was a lot of stuff about it that I've left behind, but there was some stuff in it that had some real power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost that I'm not willing to leave behind. I still believe, come on, hallelujah, in the power of the Holy Ghost in the present day, working and dealing, not just in our our, our miraculous, that's it, part, but dealing in our lives as the thing that he gives to us. John 14 said, if I don't go, the comforter won't come. But if I come, I'm going to send the comforter. How many glad that you don't just have a God who lives over there somewhere, but he took up his abode inside of you. Hallelujah. I love Revelation 21. Revelation 21, I believe it is verse 2, says in King James, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. But the message Bible says, look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. He's made his home in men. Touch your neighbor telling property values just went up. Because when God moves in the neighborhood, he starts this program called new creation. Where he rears back and says, I'm about to make everything become new. That's a pretty good deal. Hallelujah. I don't know about you. Listen, there's terminology. I don't want to just fight about terminology, but I was listening to just some teaching stuff even last night while I was sitting in the hotel room. And, and uh, you know, a, a term that's kind of real popular is that God's teaching us a better way to be human. I, I, I don't want to be faulty about that. I just want to say God's not really teaching us a better way to be human. He's teaching us how to be new creation. He's teaching us how to be image bearers. And here's what we have to do is we have to not try to create a God in our image to make him like us so we can keep on acting the way we want to. We need our worship to be one where we stand before him and we see him, not just with that. And I'm all for raising our hands and worshiping like that. But worship is to behold what the image is and then manifest it to his creation so that we can manifest to the creation how he really is. The life becomes the light and men begin to say, I want to encounter this God who I've been lied about a long time. Hallelujah. And when changes come, you know, I, I remember 10, 15 years ago, prophets were screaming in 10 years, the church won't look like it used to. But the moment it don't look like it did then, we want to go back. Can, can you imagine being a first century Christian? You don't have to bring a lamb this morning. This is the first time in 1,500 years you don't. You don't need to do the divers' washings. You don't need the rituals of circumcision. Thank God for that. <laughs> see, we don't think about what, but see, you're talking about swimming against the tide of this is how it's been, bless God. And sometimes we don't eat, we, we have done stuff that ne- aren't necessarily, hallelujah. I hear in everything, see, there are so many changes going on and, and, you know, trying to navigate the waters of changes. I look at things, I was thinking even as I came down this morning, how even the inside of our churches look different. Now, I'm, I'm for it, so before you think I'm criticizing, I'm for it. But I've heard people say to me, well, our churches look like nightclubs inside. 
And I'm like, yep. And our kids are in church instead of the nightclub. That's worth an applause too. Come on. How many know that the methods may change, but the message does not? See, we, 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 we are seeing such changes that even in what we do with media, I was, as I looked up, you had a podcast and a Spotify. See, I've got one of them too. I don't have Spotify, I don't think, but I'd have to ask my tech guys, I might. Hallelujah. Didn't know what a podcast was. Matter of fact, we, we've got these little things called jump drives out there that are just fully loaded with messages that we preach. And that was a whole new method of delivering the message of the gospel. I'm like, what do you do with these? And see, you know what? I love this. And please, I'm not trying to be critical here this morning. But older folks come up to me and they say, well, what do you do with those? I said, well, do you have a newer model car? Yeah. You got a little slot there where you plug your phone in? Yep. I said, you just plug it right in there. It'll come right up on your screen. Isn't that incredible? That you, you know, you could go home today and type my name in YouTube and probably over five, six hundred videos will come up. Matter of fact, I looked last night just to see we have some videos that have been watched as much as 35,000 times. And some of my most watched videos, as I saw last night, came up was from Living Faith. How about that? Hallelujah. You can watch it on demand. You can watch it, you know. In other words, there are methods that change. And how we get the gospel out. We are literally in our TV studio that we just redid. We have a place where we can do live webinars. Where we can literally just stay right there in the TV studio. Let people log in from around the world. And interact with us while we're doing it. I'm not just trying to talk about all the technology changes. But I'm just trying to get you to see that I believe that as we progress in the things of the gospel. And things begin to change. That we need to understand that where we're headed does not look like where we came from. Because in this place that we're headed for, if God is truly leading us, and I believe that's key, is God saying it. Hallelujah. I was, I was, I was, I I guess it's all right. Our conversation we had in a little bit while ago in the uh, green room. And, uh, you know, I was, I was, I was telling him there was a pastor that I heard teaching in uh, Oklahoma last year, some of you may or may not know him, Darius Daniels, but Darius was a teacher, was teaching in one of the uh, meetings I was at. And this, this guy is a pastor who pastors a couple of mega churches in New Jersey, but he's also an adjunct professor at Princeton. And what really blessed me was he said, do you know what I'm, he said this, this whole conference for about 1,300 pastors. He said, what I teach at Princeton is the validity of the power of the Holy Spirit and its authenticity in the, in the 21st century. I said, you're teaching that at Princeton. And he said to that whole room full of preachers, he said, we have built our churches at the expense of putting the third person of the Godhead in the closet because we're embarrassed if the Holy Ghost shows up. But what people, he said, but I'm afraid we're behind the curve because what people are really looking for is an authentic encounter with the power of the Holy Ghost. And it may not look like it used to. See, I I keep on thinking, man, I keep on thinking maybe it'll look like it did when I was growing up, but it's not going to look like it did when I was growing up. We keep on saying, well, let's go back to the good old days, except as I really look back, they really weren't that good old days. A lot of legalism was with it. But see, I believe that God is a moving thing. And if we're going to move with the cloud, we're going to have to be 
willing to live. Listen, when they left Egypt, they left they lived in tents, man. They were willing to move about as God began to move. And, you know, I think of the writer of the Song of Solomon when he said to the woman who was in pursuit of the king, she said to him, tell me, O thou whom my soul loves, where you feed your flock, where you make your, 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 your flock rest at noonday. And he looks at her. He said, if you don't know where I'm feeding the flock, you got to go your way and follow the footsteps of the flock. Because how many know sheep know his voice and another they will not follow? And he said, then you got to find yourself beside the shepherd's tents. And that's key to me. Because you got to find yourself a shepherd that's got a tent. What do you mean? I'm not talking about tent revival days. I'm talking about a pastor who's willing to move with the cloud when God says it's time to move from here to there that we pull up our stakes and say the cloud is moving and where we're headed may not look like where we came from. Am I, am I, am I talking to you today? Listen, this may not be just in church things. This may be in areas of your life where you've been stuck in a place and God is dealing with you. And there's progression that God wants to change in your life, whether it's a job or a new place of blessing and favor on your life. How many know sometimes you've got to be willing to realize that where I'm headed don't look like where I came from? But I can tell you right now, I'm not in the same place I was a year ago. I've got a new fire in my soul. I've got a new wind in my sail. I've got encouragement in my heart. I decided not to retire. I decided to lead a generation into the fullness of a move of God. I believe that's going to, hallelujah, bring a reformation to our nation and bring reformation to, hallelujah, everything we're about. Hallelujah. And in order to do that, sometimes it's going to take a willingness to be flexible enough to change. And, and, you know, I was thinking, even as I've seen the years and years in the last year or so has just been an incredible explosion in our ministry. And just the influence has just been off the charts as far as expansion. But I'll tell you what, I can remember, like I said, I was discouraged thinking, man, I wasn't ready. Maybe I'm not being effective. And sometimes I think the enemy makes us feel that way. And the reality of it is we don't really know how effective we're truly being. And you kind of get discouraged but you know what? All of a sudden, things begin to explode, and, and, and God begin to open major and massive doors for us. And I thought, I was thinking, man, I'm not just effective. I'm hugely effective, and maybe it's not time to quit yet. Maybe it's time to put some fresh wind in my sails, because how I many know sometimes we don't think we are, but what we have to do in order to get there is stay in our assignment and preach the message God told us to preach. Listen, everybody's not the same. Everybody don't cook lamb the same way. There are different flavors and different styles that people like. Some people don't like the fact that I raise my voice. And other people have me in because I do. Some of them say, man, we, we, you listen, we, we love your message, but we love your style. <laughs> And other people said, I, I just don't care much for that. You just feel like you're yelling at me. Well, I'm not trying to yell. I just get so excited about it. Hallelujah. So when I'm around folk like that, I just try to lower my voice and talk real mundane. I hope that just be, you know. But we're all wired different. But how many of sometimes, again, where we're headed doesn't look like where we came from. Now, let me just, because we're in the first service, give me my, my uh, the Exodus 14 scripture, I believe it is. 
Now, now this scripture is the setting or the backdrop is they have just left Egypt. They have just left bondage. God is leading them out of a system of slavery, if you will. Now, remember that I'm, 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 I'm not saying that bondage of the world can't be Egypt, but I'm saying the Holy Spirit out of Revelation 11 verse 8 pointed his finger to the old covenant as being that place of slavery and servanthood, the centerpiece of old covenant. Now, I, I don't have a lot of time to unpack this, but the reality of it is, is here we are 2,000 and some years into the new covenant. And we are still full of mixture as it relates to Old and New Covenant. We preach the parts of the law that fit our culture. And we call that the gospel. Now, I'm not telling you that there's not some guidelines of behaviors that become saints. But what I am telling you is in the New Covenant, it's not just about rules. It's about living by the government of Holy Spirit in your life. In other words, the government of Holy Spirit is the thing we have that they did not have in the old covenant where we can listen. I I believe that every person under the sound of my voice can hear God. You you say, well, what's he sound like? He sounds a lot like you. (laughs) Except he'll tell you stuff you wouldn't have told yourself. And I have learned, and I'm learning more and more, to keenly listen to that no button or that yes button or that instruction that I hear not as an audible voice but as an impression where I just hear his voice. Even prophetically or word of knowledge, it's not like most of the time you hear an audible voice. You just get this real strong impression like you know something. I'm just being real transparent how it works. I believe we need to develop that in our everyday life as it relates to business deals. Here's a very simple principle of how can I be governed by Holy Spirit. Paul said this, let the peace of God rule your heart. And the Amplified Bible said, let the peace of God act as the umpire in your heart, settling with all finality every question that arises. When I'm dealing with business, dealing with people, dealing with open doors, dealing with everything, I listen to that peace of God. If I don't have peace about it and I get red flags, I either put it on hold or just say no. That might be some wisdom for somebody here this morning. And, and the Holy Spirit can govern and lead you. But let me just let me move on because we're getting close towards the end of the service here. They've left Egypt. They've been delivered by the blood of a spotless lamb. Moses realized when he left the plushness of the palace, he was born to be a deliverer. And what was in him surfaced and he began to bring God's people out into, he was headed for the promised land. They're leaving bondage. They're not making bricks this morning. Here's something I found out, Pastor Gavin. Not everybody wants to live in freedom. Some of them like bondage. It's familiar to them. Y'all quiet in this first service. (laughs) They they were so used to bondage that now we are on a, could have been a 40-day camping trip. They're on a 40-year camping trip, and nobody really wants to go camping. These people are not happy campers. Now, they're out. They just saw God deliver them. They left Egypt 
with 400 years worth of back pay. They have spoiled the Egyptian. Their pockets are full of gold. You would think after seeing all they saw, hey, God might just be for us. You would think, come on, somebody, that when you see a cloud following you, you got a pillar of fire by night. You might, it might dawn on you, hey, I think God might just be for us. Depends on what you're focusing on. But the moment that they left Egypt, they're not out of Egypt, and they have left Egypt delivered by this powerful leader, and they think he is the best thing, Pastor Gavin, since sliced bread. He's the man of faith and power for the hour. But the moment they hear the thump of horses' hooves and the dust of Pharaoh's chariots, they turn on the man of God in a New York minute and say to him, you're a baby killer. You brought us out here to die because there was no graves in Egypt. He was the man of faith and power five minutes ago. I learned not to be motivated or moved by what the crowd thinks. Help me just, come on, help me a little bit here this morning. And they turn on him and, and, and said, it's, it's because there was no graves in Egypt. And man, they turn on him and we didn't have no problems till we came to this church. <laughs> yes, you did. You just didn't get in an environment where they could be dealt with till you got there. Because what God was going to do, come on, was bring them out in the wilderness And he was going to give them a period of time where they would lose their slave mentality. He was going to bring them into a place where they would live in houses they did not build, eat from vineyards they did not plant, and enter a land where God cares for, where the rain of heaven falls, where God himself becomes the gardener. Are you hearing where I'm coming from? And these people can't see past their noses to see sometimes there's a process and where we're headed don't look like where we came from. Am I, am I making sense to you? It is in that setting. Bring my, my scripture back up. That this scripture. And the, and the Lord said to Moses. Now, again, the setting here is the people have got that. I'm going to choke you look on their face. Like we are going to just. And, 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 and the Lord said to Moses. Look at this. Wherefore Christ thou unto me. Now, if I was. Hallelujah. If I was Moses. See, the people got this like, I'm going to choke you, look, because you brought us out here to die. Do you see what's going on all around us? Do you see the culture? Do you see the circumstance? Do you see the chariots of Pharaoh? Do you see? And Moses probably walked in his tent. I would have been real calm, coin collected. Brother Bill, in front of the people, I'd have said, stand still and see the salvation of God. And then I'd have walked in my tent Laid on the floor and cried till the floor got wet. <laughs> Said, oh, God, what are you going to I got to tell you, man, sometimes I walk, even on my t- TV studio, I walk in there and think when that camera comes on, we're talking to possibly 140 million people every time it comes on. And I think to myself, I hope this don't scare you, but I hope to myself, I say to myself, I hope to God I'm right. And if I'm not, Lord, please tell me because I don't want to lead people. Here, here where I'm coming from, because when you lead, there's a heavy responsibility. And so, you know, hallelujah, and, and you can't really understand it till you led a little bit. Some folk who think you can pastor better need to pastor a little while, and you'll be thinking, I just need to set up under somebody and let them have, hallelujah. But let me just, let me just bring this to a close. He said, he's there crying. He's asking God, what must I do? And this is what God says to him. Wherefore, Christ, thou unto me. 
That's what God said to him. I just said, say what? <laughs> what do you mean? Wherefore Christ thou unto me? You're the one who told me to take him. <laughs> but here's the word I have for you this morning. I'm going to close with this. Bring it back up. Latter part of this verse. Speak unto the children of Israel. And tell them. Go forward. This is what I hear God saying for the body of Christ right now. Tell my people to go forward. Because as we start to move forward, God said to Moses, take that rod in your hand and stretch it out over whatever's opposing you. Hallelujah. See, I could talk about the rod being the cross, the tree. Come on. Take the cross and the finished work and stretch it out over what's opposing you and keep on moving. Because the moment... The feet of those people touched the Red Sea. God rolled the Red Sea back and it separated. And he said to them, tell the Egyptian or tell the people, the Egyptians, which you see today. Your perpetual enemy who has made a slave master out of you. Your, your years of bondage are over and the Egyptians, which you see today. You will see them again No more. Forever. Hallelujah. Because where you're headed does not look like where you came from. Stand on your feet over this place this morning. Tell the people to go forward. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I I really feel like that's a word for the season. Listen, it, it, it. And sometimes even good things we've gotten so used to that were for the season, we have a hard time. See, sometimes good things can be a hindrance, not just the bad things, but the good things can be because we like the safe environment, hallelujah, of what we're familiar with, hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I may be a little older, but I'm ready for this risky embrace of grace. That is not greasy at all, and I don't have time to really unpack or or develop all that because there is a saving grace, but there's also an empowering grace. Because living in the promised land does not mean lawlessness. It means there's another law in operation called the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Titus writes this, for the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness. Grace is a teacher.